you got to understand if you're in the military or not, if you're in, you know, a civilian job that you don't like, if you want to get into real estate investing or you want to get out of this mindset habit that you're in, you know, understand what your ultimate goals are for your life, right? And it doesn't have to be anything mm-hmm. like one, five, 10 years kind of goals. It can be something like, I want to lose, you know, X amount of weight, or I want to meditate for, you know, X amount of times per week, or I want to go on a walk or something as simple as that, but understand kind of what your root reason is for doing these things, right? Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host, Yona Weiss. Excited to be here today with Anthony Pinto, all the way from Japan. Active duty naval officer. Excited to have you on the show today. What's going on, Anthony? Hey, Yona. Thanks for having me today. It's definitely been a while, so I'm excited to, to catch up and you know share what I have to share. So I'm excited to be here and get going. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. It's not every day we get someone who's active duty. I'm always appreciative of your service and everything that you guys do. And specifically, someone who's in the Navy. And if I'm not mistaken, submarine, is that your... Yes. Yep. Yep. I'm a submarine officer. Mm-hmm. Are you on a submarine right now? No. No, I'm on a, I'm on like a short tour right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it's great to have you on the show. I would love for you to give our listeners a little bit of background, You know who you are, how you got started. And obviously, you're a real estate investor, which is mm-hmm. pretty much the common denominator of everyone on this show. And yeah, give us a little background before we get into it. Sure, sure. So, you know, like you mentioned, you know, active duty, my wife is also active duty. I mean, we've been out here for about, oh. gosh, two and a half years now. <laughs> the time is fun, has flown by. And I've known I was going to be coming out here for really four years. So like a year and a half or so before we got out here. And prior to this station, I was on a sea tour. So I was on a submarine. And so I was going out to sea, you know, for about, you know, two or three months at a time towards the end of my time on, on that boat. But, you know, I was on that boat or the submarine for about three years and we were in shipyard for the vast majority of that time, which meant, you know, it was a really long hours, a lot of redundant work. And, you know, it was a lot of me seeing what my future job could look like if I decided to stay in the Navy, right? I was seeing my bosses. I was seeing how mm-hmm. long and many hours they were putting in. I was seeing what, you know, how tedious that was and how they really didn't enjoy that life. And more so, I saw that, you know, their kids were one, two years old, sometimes even babies, and they never really got to see them. And that wasn't the life that I wanted to live. Right. You know, whether that was going to be in the Navy or not, was never really seeing my family. And I had, you know, I got married while I was on, you know, I was on my sea tour, and I never really got to see my wife either, even though I was, you know, coming home almost every night. It was essentially like I was being out to sea. So, you know, I paint this picture for you to say that, you know, I was looking for something different, looking for something to to build up as a side hustle or something to do so that I had options when I got out. Because that was in 2017. I got married. 2018 was when I got off my sea tour. And I knew that I had until at least 2022, 2023, which is roughly now when I was going to get out. So call it four or five years before I was going to get out. And so that was a lot of time 
for mm-hmm. me to build, you know, a business, for me to get into real estate investing, which I did, to give myself a runway, a financial runway to be financially free. And so, you know, long story short, you know, I started looking into real estate investing, going to meetup and got into small multifamily a little bit, did some house hacking, a little bit of Airbnb and, you know, bought some smaller properties myself, mainly by doing the house hacking model, like I said, using my VA loan. And then, you know, in that process, you know, and talking with people, I realized, you know, this multifamily game sounds like the way to go, right? You know. I can buy these one onesie twosie properties, you know, single family, small multifamily myself. But eventually, like I want to get to the point where, you know, I own multiple properties, multiple right. units that are providing a multiple, you know, X amount of zeros in cash flow per month. And it just I just didn't see that model playing out over time with you know me alone buying those properties. And so much harder to scale. Definitely harder to scale on the small properties. Yeah, exactly. And so I started doing all more research into apartment buildings, specifically like the large apartment buildings, and started going to conferences. And this was in 2019, you know, a few months before I came out here and dabbled mm-hmm. in that a little bit. Couldn't find anything, couldn't get my traction in, didn't have any of my ducks in a row to, you know, close on a property myself. You know, didn't have the track record experience. Honestly, didn't really have the knowledge for it. Definitely didn't have the capital raised for it. But what I did have is I kind of had, I was laying the foundations to get to myself to that point and digging the well. Yeah, the desire. And that's probably one of the most important ingredients. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, during 2019, I was learning a lot and talking with a lot of people and networking a lot and setting myself up for coming here at the end of 2019 to Japan and knowing that, you know, I wasn't going to be talking to brokers as much because I was, you know, at 12, 13 hour time difference. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to be able to go physically to her properties. And I wasn't going to be able to do a lot of these things that I was doing before when I was back in the States. What I could do is I could put out content. I could, you know, raise capital. I mm-hmm. could, you know, share my journey with a lot of people who were in a similar boat as me, specifically military investors. So that's what I did. And I started my own podcast. Right. And one of my first guests was a, you know, a fellow vet in the area who I had, con- you know, I had known. You know, I've run into a few times at different conferences in the area. And he brought me in on my first deal, which was like 10 minutes away at the time from where I lived in, you know, back in the States. He's like, hey, like I got this deal. If you're interested in capital raising on it, like come on in. So I was like, sure. And, you know, I'd never really, never really capital raised at a large scale like that. And so he brought me in and I raised, you know, about 800,000 for that deal personally for that deal, which was like crazy to me, never having raised before. And then, you know, a lot of the first deal, we can get into that, you know, snowballed into a second deal and a third deal and, you know, subsequent deals after that. But it really unlocked something in me that I found a lot of passion and specifically multifamily investing and sharing that passion, my podcast and sharing that journey and sharing the education side of things. So that's kind of a, a quick and dirty of the journey. And hopefully it wasn't confusing with the timeline there. No, not at all. I think that's great. There's so much to learn when it comes to real estate and the fact that you had the wherewithal to understand at such an early stage that you, know, you kind of have a timeline. You want to be able to be financially free or at least be on the path to that mm-hmm. before you end your tour. And a lot of people in the military, I mean, I'd say the vast majority aren't even thinking about that. Like they don't have that kind of foresight. So, I mean, obviously you had something pushing you, someone, maybe it was, who knows what it was or some, you know looking down on you from above, that was just kind of pushing you in the right direction. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's crazy to think back now, 
and see, you know, five years ago where I was, or even three years ago where I was and think how different my life was. And like, even my mentality was and how I was living my life. But yeah, I mean, I wish that, you know, a lot more military guys could have could set themselves up in this manner. And you know, unfortunately, I've seen this both personally, but, you know, with my own sailors, is that, you know, the military just does a very good job of making military men and women to do exactly what they need you to do and build you to do the job that they need you to do and set your family up to be able to live within that kind of box, right? And really anything outside of that is kind of extraneous, right? So they don't really, they have some programs to kind of transition you out, but they don't teach you how to really manage your money or how to use your VA loan to buy a house or how to even use, you know, your stable financial position of having a military paycheck every two weeks to, you know, launch yourself into, you know, an entrepreneurial job as a real estate investor. Like there's so many things that we have as a military investor that the average person who's trying to get into a syndication or be a real estate investor in general mm-hmm. just can't take for granted, right? Like it's just incredible. I think the military just doesn't do a good job of setting us up education wise to be able to take advantage of those options. And it's sad to see. And, you know, there's a bunch of guys that I'm, you know, I talk with that we're trying to kind of spread that message around by, you know, kind of being a beacon to show that what's possible, right? Especially overseas, especially active duty, especially getting into these circles, you know, without having to be a millionaire to start with, right? I think that's kind of an illusion that a lot of people think is like Mm -hmm. to be a multifamily investor, to be an apartment building investor, to be a commercial real estate investor in general, or to own any amount of properties outside of your primary residence, like you need to be a millionaire to start with, right? You got to have a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a million dollars in the bank to buy these properties. And it's just not true, right? It's not the reality of the situation. And yeah, there's some companies, you know, that are out there like a Blackstone that can just drop, you know, billions of dollars on the dime and snatch up a whole bunch of properties. But I think you'd be surprised how many people, if you go into a bidding war on some of these multifamily properties are not like that at all. They're just, you know, regular people running a regular company or a syndication group Mm -hmm. who's bidding on these properties, just like you and me, right? It's just, it's a paradigm shift that I think a lot of people would, if they had that shift and understood really kind of the background mechanics of how multifamily investing or syndications work, could really do well for themselves and get into this if they kind of understood that it doesn't really take a lot to get in this. You just really need to know how to leverage certain aspects and then, you know, get knowledgeable, right? And learn. Yeah. That's exactly right. I think you hit the nail on the head. It really has more than anything else. It comes down to education and the lack thereof. I think, you know, ADPI, the active duty passive income guys are doing a great job putting out tons of content, building a community for both active duty and, you know, veterans that wouldn't know otherwise. I mean, you talked about the VA loan. How many people that you know that are active duty right now are actually using their VA loan to buy a property, let alone to buy you know a multi-unit property to house hack sure. where you can actually you know, have the rent. VA loan means zero money down. Right. That's crazy. I mean, think about that. You go, you're like, hey, I want to buy a fourplex, zero money down. All I have to have, these guys, three other people are going to pay the rent, which is going to cover the mortgage and I'll live for free. And so the paycheck that you earn is can be saved or can be reinvested in other things like that. Where most of the time your paycheck is a lot, you know, majority of that is going to go toward, or not necessarily a majority, but a good percentage of that is going to go towards your rent or your mortgage. 
it's crazy that they don't like tell everyone about the options there. But I think people like you and others out there that are educating, that's really what it comes down to. And so pushing the education and pushing, you know, I think when you're in the military, again, I can't speak from personal experience, but just from having spoken to so many people like you that, you know, I think there's a feeling of you're busy all day working, kind of strenuous, kind of hard work a lot of times. And then when you're off hours, you just want to like veg out or relax or recreation or, you know, just whatever it is. And I think that's pretty true for most, you know, average Americans also working class people. How do you get out of that rut or how do you inspire people to actually, you know, look beyond, you know, say, hey, yes, it's okay to veg out. It's okay to do that. But like, you know, you have so many extra hours out of the day that you could potentially, you know, be involved or at least to educate yourself, listen to podcasts, read books, et cetera. Yeah, you know, that's a great question, Yona. And I'm going to be honest with you, you know, I think it really comes down to prioritization and what are priorities and what are your ultimate goals in life? Because, you know, we were talking about this before, you know, we came on the podcast, you know, my whole world has changed within the past, you know, four months, you know, I had a baby girl back in April. And, you know, up until that point, my world has really been my Navy life, and then coming home and doing real estate as my side hustle. And now suddenly I have a whole nother human being that, you know, lives in my house that survives off of me, you know, feeding her and taking care of her and all this. And she takes up a lot of my time. And so I mentioned that is because, you know, I may want to do real estate and may want to have all these goals and these priorities, but she is the number one priority, like hands down when I come home. Right. And so it's easy to just come home and sit on the couch and not want to do anything except spend time with her. And you know, a lot of the time it ends up being like that. But, you know, to answer your question, how do you kind of get out of that rut is I think you need to understand what are your ultimate mm-hmm. goals in life. If your goals in life are to, you know, put in 20 years and then get out and live off a retirement check and you're happy with that, then yeah, I think that that is a noble goal to live. I think people are do that all the time and they live a fulfilled life. You know, Gary Vee talks about he knows, you know, guys who are making $40,000 who are happier than, you know, billionaires who are extremely unhappy, right? I mean, it's all about your mindset and your perspective because there's people who are happy either way, right? Right. And I think money's not really going to change that, right? And even time freedom to some extent isn't going to necessarily change that, right? If you're not happy with your life circumstances, you're not happy with your family circumstances, you know, having more time with your family, having more money isn't necessarily going to change that, right? Right. So I think you got to understand if you're in the military or not, if you're in, you know, a civilian job that you don't like, if you want to get into real estate investing or you want to get out of this mindset habit that you're in, you know, understand what your ultimate goals are for your life, right? And it doesn't have to be anything mm-hmm. like one, five, 10 years kind of goals. It can be something like, I want to lose, you know, X amount of weight, or I want to meditate for, you know, X amount of times per week, or I want to go on a walk or something as simple as that, but understand kind of what your root reason is for doing these things, right? Why do I want to do real estate investing? Why does Anthony Pinto want to do real estate investing? Well, because I've seen for the past eight years being in the Navy that I don't really have as much control of my life as I want to have, right? I don't really have the money freedom or the time freedom that I want to go travel when I want to, or spend time with my family when I want to, right? Even working a shore tour, right? A day job that, you know, is relatively kind of set hours. I'm still coming home later than I want to, right? I really don't control my own, my own hours. And so I want to be able to have the time and time freedom to work from home if I want to, or not work from home, or 
work from mm-hmm. the top of a mountain if I want to, if I want to go hiking for that day, right? That's really my drive to be able to do that and spend as much time with my family as I want to, right? Yeah. And there's some other causes in there as well with having additional money available, right? But that's really why I get up at five o'clock in the morning to talk to you here, Yon, on a podcast, right? <laughs> that's why I'm pushing myself to do real estate investing and raise capital and close all these deals from Japan. I mean, I could spend, you know, three years here without doing anything with real estate investing and knowing that it was going to be really hard talking with people 13 hours time zone difference, you know, on a daily basis. Yeah. But I really think it comes down to what are your ultimate goals and doesn't necessarily have to be financial. And how are you going to prioritize those goals? in your life on a 24-hour basis. It doesn't have to be weekly. It has to be on a daily basis. Because if you don't do it on a daily basis, then that's a waste of a day. And you move into the next day, and then that's a waste of that day. right? Because I found that, you know, for me personally, if I don't do, if I don't prioritize that day, then it gets pushed to the next day. And then it's like, oh, I'll push that to the next day and the next day. And then you've lost a week. And then you've lost a month. And then it's just like, here's my whole list of things I need to do, you know? So... That's my advice for you there. You got to set goals and you got to set priorities. And it doesn't necessarily have to be financial, but start with something small and then work your way up, right? Yeah, that's awesome. It's so true. I think it's a great advice, especially given the fact that, I mean, that's where you are. That's where you're living. Having the right goals and figuring out what those goals are is really going to lead you in the right direction. But ultimately, it comes down to making those, taking those actions to get you towards reaching that goal. Because having the goal, like you said, is great. It's a first step. But if you're not acting on a daily basis, or at least planning on a daily basis to get to that goal, then it's, you know, it's really just a dream. And unfortunately, many dreams don't come true, right? Dreams can just be pipe dreams and can just sit on the shelf and wither away if you don't actually act towards them. How do you go about it? And you personally, you're obviously overseas. You talked about being in Japan, being a 12, 13 hour mm-hmm. difference. Yet, Simultaneously, you're able to invest in many multifamily deals, which seemingly to a lot of people would seem very difficult to do. How do you manage that? And obviously, you are doing it together with other partners. You're not doing it all on your own. That goes without saying, I think. But maybe talk to that point. Like, What are some of pointers or how you're actually able to manage that? Yeah. So I'll start with the fact that when I first got over here, I was working on the night shift. So I was working at the same time zone, essentially, as everyone working hours as everyone back in the States. So I was able to have calls with people mm-hmm. at the same rough time as everyone else. So that was kind of an easy transition for me to be able to do that. After that, once I worked, move into a day shift, it was a lot harder. So I had to set aside specific times in the day for me, like now between five o'clock in the morning and seven o'clock, which is three in the afternoon to five o'clock in the evening, East Coast time to be able to talk. And then you can, you know, figure out the specific time. Mm-hmm. So I had to, I set aside time every day for business time right. or business hours for back in the States to be able to do that now. Right. But yeah, so, you know, I found partners who I trusted to take down these deals and those partners I exclusively work with now. Right. And so on that note, we should probably talk partnerships. Yeah. Cause really you know, important. it doesn't really matter if you're going to be living overseas or if you live next door to a property. Right you're going to be doing a syndication, I think you need to understand, especially as a capital raiser, and especially as somebody who's first time raising capital or first time working with syndication group, whether you're boots on the ground, whether you're doing some sort of small aspect to a GP and you're joining for the first time, understand who you're getting into business with and understand that you are essentially getting married to that group or that partner or that organization for two, three, five, 10 years down the line, right? Legally, you are getting married to them as a general partnership mm-hmm. and decisions that they make, 
decisions that they don't make in action, all of that reflects back on you, whether mm-hmm. you think so or not, right? So you have a lead sponsor that is doing their job well, right. good on you, right? Then the property, you know, hopefully is doing well, right? And you get a windfall in down the road when you go to sell or right. you get a windfall in cash flow every month, right? And we've had properties that are like that this year. We've had very high highs in 2022. I'll just say that. But then on opposite end, if you have a GP or you have a lead sponsor that is not doing well, right, that does not have accountability, that can be complete opposite. And the property can go a complete 180 from where you want it to go, right? And you can be just as responsible, even though you have a very small percentage and you live overseas and you do, you know, you do whatever else, right? So my point is that you need to understand, really understand who you're getting into bed with, right? Even if you've done multiple deals with them, even if you've done all these things with them, right? And I think that's the same that can be true for if you're going to be a limited partner on a deal as well is for me personally, when I look at deals that come down mm-hmm. my track, they all kind of look the same, right? It's in Phoenix, it's in Atlanta, it's in Texas, it's in wherever, Boise, wherever else, right? All the numbers look the same too, right? They're all roughly the same. It doesn't really matter to me, honestly. What I look at is who's what team is bringing it to me, right? Who are they? What does their track record look like, right? Why do I believe and trust that they can get done the job that they're telling me they're going to get done, right? All that extra stuff is extraneous, right? All the numbers and all the market and all that stuff doesn't really, is extraneous to me, right? Because the team is really what's going to make or break it, right? That one team member can decide not to come to work and they're the linchpin that holds it all together, right? A property management leasing agent can decide to, you know, steal a whole bunch of money and there goes your income for the month, right? Or the property management, you know, company can decide to not want to work with you anymore, right? There's so many things that can go wrong at the people level that it doesn't matter about the market or the numbers and all these things, you know what I mean? So that's my perspective when it comes to GPs and LPs, but you really need to understand who you're getting into business with, both if you're building yourself a team, but also if you're getting in on a team as a GP. And so I see a lot of capital raises that are just putting themselves out there on social media, on all of these different forums and conferences as like, hey, I'll raise money for you, you know, $500,000, a million dollars here. Like it doesn't really matter, like the markets, who they're working with and just kind of farming themselves out without really knowing who they're kind of getting in bed with. And I'm like, that's great. Like you're just doing it for the market, you're doing it for the money and, you know, to sustain yourself. But, you know, it really takes this one bad actor to kind of change everything, right? And, you know, just like they say for investments, like, you know, past experience or past returns is not, you know, indication of future you know, returns as well, or whatever the, the adage is, right? Yeah. I think the same is true for people as well, right? Until you really see someone under extreme stress, you really don't know how they're going to react when, you know, a fire happens, or when you have a crime go down at your property, or when the lender does something weird and screwy and decides to, you know, yeah. throw default terms around, or the city comes at you, right? There are all these different things that can go wrong, right? And you're not going to really know that until you kind of get your back against a wall, right? So I'm rambling now, but all to say, you really need to know who you're getting into business with, both as a GP and an LP. Right. And I think it's a lot harder to do that now because if you've had a heartbeat and you've had a deal, you have done very well over the past two, three years. And it's kind of hard to distinguish the good GP operators from the chaff, in right. my opinion. So that's all for me to say. I've picked distinct and select partners that I've worked with while being overseas. And that's kind of yeah. who I continue to work with. Really until I get back to the States and I'm able to 
face-to-face look at people and meet people and decide to work with them that way. Makes sense. You're absolutely right in terms of that. I mean, I couldn't have said that better myself in terms of knowing the partners. And and these days have been so good. Almost everyone has come out on the upper end of things, especially in the multifamily space. It's all about the partners, all about the deals, excuse me, the deal sponsors, because ultimately they're the ones that are going to make or break the deal. And it's hard to know, especially when you're dealing with syndicators that are relatively new to the space and those that haven't had those experiences in a downturn and a time where there's been you know, major problems in a property or anything like that. So it is really difficult to make that decision, but you have to do the proper research, proper due diligence, and you know, see if you can see if you can unturn, uh, uncover some information and do your investigation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you'd be surprised how easy it is to find that sort of information. And even some of the bigger guys that you're going to find something, you're going to find some sort of disgruntled employee, right? Like even with tenants, if you've owned a property, right? In the past, like your leasing Mm -hmm. agent, when a tenant applies, is going to go look for references for those prior tenants, right? Right. So, you know, do kind of the same thing for, you know, your GP team, whether you're going to do, whether you're going to get in as a GP or as an LP, right? At the very least, like meet them in person. Right. Like, I think it goes a long way meeting someone in person and understanding their driving, you know, principles, like their values, why they're doing what they're doing and understanding you know, more than just they fill a niche. If they fill a hole in what I need and I fill a hole in what they need. Right. So there's plenty of people that do that. And I think it goes the wrong way than gotcha. what you actually need to do in the partnership. And you need to figure out what their values are and make sure that they match yours rather than trying to fill a hole for each other. That makes sense. makes a lot of sense. makes a a tremendous amount of sense and, you know, and dollars for that matter. So (laughs) I love the transition now, Anthony, to what we call the final four. These are four questions I ask all my guests. First question to you is, what is the worst job that you ever had? Oh man, the worst job I've ever had. I would say the worst job I ever had was, I used to work at a pizza shop. It's literally called the pizza shop. And... I worked a number of different jobs. I was a dishwasher. I was a cook, but I still have a number of burns on my hands from working the ovens, actually. Yeah, I remember actually working as a dishwasher one night through the night because I worked at the bottom of the hill from my house and I rode my bike down the hill to get to work every day. And I fell on the way to work one day and I broke my elbow. And I didn't realize that I broke my elbow. I thought it was just really strained and I worked all the way through work. And that was like the worst night to work because I was lifting things. I was moving things around with this broken elbow. And yeah, it turns out I shattered my elbow and I was working all the way through it. So yeah, I would say that was probably the worst job I've had was there was this pizza shop place. Wow. Definitely. Wow. That's really hard. I assume you, you found out after that, took some x-rays and (laughs) yeah, exactly. You weren't doing any dishes after that. Nope. What's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Yeah, the book is called Blue Ocean Strategy. That's the first one that comes to mind. And Hmm. I have it here. Blue Ocean Strategy by W. Chan Kim and Renee Ma Bourne. Basically, the concept behind it is is how to create uncontested market space. And the idea is that, you know, I'll give you an example. Like there's a red ocean and Hmm. there's blue oceans. And the idea is that Multifamily is a red ocean, for example. There's a lot of sharks that are making the you know the waters extremely bloody because there's right. a lot of competition. Supply and demand are making it extremely hard to really do anything. And so the idea here is you make a blue ocean for yourself by essentially eliminating the competition, by you know limiting your scope for all the type of properties you're looking for, you know being very selective in how you do it, 
or even just being an extreme expert in your specific space. So for example, if you have a, you know, an expert in shopping centers, right, or in retail, and no one else is looking for that because COVID has decimated that specific industry, but you know it's going to come back down the road, right? That's kind of the idea behind the blue ocean strategy yep. is eliminate the competition because it doesn't really matter because it's irrelevant because you've made a space for yourself to, to expertise, due to market knowledge, due to even the market itself, right? Uh, that's the idea. But that's a book, Blue Ocean Strategy. Awesome. That's amazing. I feel like maybe someone has mentioned that before on this podcast, but doesn't come to mind. But that's an incredible kind of way to look at marketing and understanding, you know, what's out there and what your competitive advantage is. So thank you for bringing that up. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. And really? next question is what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? I cannot wait to get back to the States to learn how to fly a helicopter and or fly a plane in general. Yeah. Funny enough story, I was an aerospace engineering major back in college, and I got to fly a whole bunch of aircraft on an internship once, and I really enjoyed it. And I wish I ended up going sub. So of course, I went under the water instead of above it. But I've always wanted to go back and learn how to fly. So that's what I want to do, learn how to fly, either fixed wing or helicopter or both. Very cool. I mean, you're not, just to clarify, are you going to be continuing the naval service once you get back to the States or you're, you're done? No, I'm separating when I get back. So I got about a year left and then I separate. Gotcha. Okay. So just civilian aircraft, just uh, yeah. doing that. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. And fourth and final question, what does success mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question because I've definitely had a paradigm shift in that within you know the last year or two. I used to define success as, as being a millionaire and having financial freedom, just having those labels. And then I reach those points and I'm like, that doesn't really matter to me. Like, why do I need to really have that? Like, it doesn't really unlock anything for me, right? It's really the ability to have what that does for me, right? Having the, you know, having the amount of money coming every month, what does that do for me? So for me, success is being able to not have to worry about money and being able to have the time freedom to, you know, leave at nine o'clock in the morning to, Go spend time a day with my daughter, right? <laughs> when she's old enough to go actually go do things, right? Or, you know, go take a, you know, a four-day weekend and go travel somewhere, right? Or, you know, have the freedom to go start a business, you know, doing something. That's what I really want to have. And that's what success is for me. It's not really about having a set amount of money anymore or having a set amount of assets or having these accolades anymore. Yeah. It's about having the time and the money freedom to spend with my family. Awesome. I think that's... Very noble definition. And you're absolutely right. You know, these definitions do change for us as time goes on and as we mature and as we kind of reach our goals. You know, if we kind of set a goal for ourselves and then reach it, we're like, well, maybe I got to set a different goal or understand that goal in a different way. And so I think you illustrated that pretty well with the answer to that question. So I appreciate that. And finally, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yeah, sure. I have an email. You can reach out to me at anthony at pintocapitalinvestments.com. I'm also pretty responsive on Facebook. If you want to find me on Facebook and shoot me a Facebook message there. If you're active duty or you know reservist or a veteran, I'm also pretty active on ADPI Facebook page. And we actually run a Asia Pacific. If mm -hmm. you're in this AOR, like in this area, you know, in the Asia area specifically, we run an Asia Pacific virtual series where we kind of talk about entry level topics for real estate investing. And that covers Guam, Hawaii, Japan, and Korea right now. Our next topic is going to be in mid-September. So I don't know when this launches, but that's then. And then you can also check me out on my website, pintocapitalinvestments.com as well. 
All right. We'll make sure to put all that in the show notes. And I hope everyone checks that out and connects with Anthony doing amazing things. And you know, congratulations on the success and wishing you much continued success. And to our listeners, thank you again for listening all the way to the end once again. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.